always build the bridge and get over it. Have I heard that before? I think we just saw a little stick man do that. So we saw one stick man getting stones thrown in from one side. He continued to pick him up. He didn't retaliate. He didn't get angry. Just continued to pick him up. Continued to build the bridge until he got to the other side. I think that little stick man just demonstrated to us some real fundamental um, steps towards forgiving others. Just some real simple things. Firstly, we don't retaliate. And secondly, we continue to show love. Very simple and very practical. So like Carl said, we're continuing our series today on how do I. So last week we looked at how do we overcome our addictions. This week we're looking at how do we forgive. How do I forgive my enemy? So does anyone here today have an enemy? Is there somebody you just don't get along with? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we would all say there are people in our lives, could be family, could be a work colleague, could be a neighbour, but it could be someone within our scope of life that we just don't get along with. People who may hurt our feelings, people who may cause us to get angry or feel upset. We all have them in our lives, I'm sure. Perhaps you were even the initial perpetrator that caused that problem in the first place, and now you're feeling offended at the way you're being treated as a, as a result of your initial actions. Or perhaps you're offended at the way think, uh, or things that someone's saying about you. More often than not, it's not just as simple as blaming the other person because we all see things differently and we all respond according to how we see the situation. How I perceive something could be very different as to how you perceive the same situation. The same situation through different eyes is perceived differently and my perception becomes my reality. I'm sure everyone here today, well, most of you here today at least, I'm sure, would be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. If you've been in church for some time, I'm sure you'd know the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in Matthew 6, starting verse 9. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many times do you think you've said the Lord's Prayer in your life? Maybe 10 times, could be 50, could be 100, could even be more. If you've been in church for a number of years, I'm sure you've said the Lord's Prayer a stack of times. But how often have you realised what you're in fact saying? Have you thought about what you're saying when you're saying the Lord's Prayer? Have you considered what you're asking for? Let's take a close look at verse 12. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this particular verse got my attention years ago. It really jumped out at me while I was reading Matthew. And it really made me think and examine forgiveness. And it changed my perspective on forgiveness. It took me on a journey. It really did. This particular verse, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If we read on from verse 14, it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So if we read the Lord's Prayer while we're, we're harbouring unforgiveness towards someone else, then we're speaking condemnation against ourselves. Now take a moment to consider that. If you're reading the Lord's Prayer and you're speaking those words out and you're praying those words, but you're holding on to unforgiveness towards other people, then in fact you're condemning yourself. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
If we can't forgive others, then we might as well be saying, Lord, don't bother to forgive my sins because I can't forgive others. Or perhaps you should skip over verse 12 because we're asking God to use the same measure to forgive our sins that we use to forgive other people. So how good your measure? Unless verse 12 leads you to repent and seek reconciliation, then you might as well be saying, Lord, don't bother to forgive my sins because I can't forgive the sins of others. Whenever we read scripture, we should be taking time to take check of our own lives. And the Lord's Prayer is no exception. When we read the Lord's Prayer, we should be taking the time to ensure that we're not holding on to any offence or unforgiveness towards other people. If you realise that you are, then you can make steps in that very moment to deal with it. I believe verse 12 is designed to lead you to a time of repentance. It's not designed to reveal regrets in your life, but it's designed to release you from your sins. Do you know that forgiveness is not only one of the most basic Christian teachings found throughout the Bible, it's also one of the most common warnings found in the New Testament. Forgiveness has the ability to transform our relationship with God, transform our relationship with others, and even with ourselves. On the other hand, unforgiveness harbours anger, resentment, bitterness, and self-destruction. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. I'm convinced that unforgiveness is Satan's favourite tool that he uses to destroy Christian relationships. He is actively using unforgiveness and offence in our lives. He's regularly just shooting those arrows, just encouraging us to hold on to offences and not to extend forgiveness to other people. Do you know that if you research forgiveness in the New Testament, you'll find more emphasis on the importance to forgive other people than you'll find condemnation against sins such as murder and sexual immorality. But where do we hold unforgiveness in our level of sins? What's your perception on that? The writers of the New Testament understood how important it was to teach us us here today, the importance of forgiving others. Now, I'm sure I probably don't have to convince everyone here today that forgiveness is in fact a good thing. I think we know that. If you've been in church for some time, you'd know that forgiveness is a real important thing. But the key today, what we all need to walk away with today, we need to understand how do we forgive? What's the process for forgiving one another? C.S. Lewis once said, Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. Isn't that so true? It is wonderful to experience forgiveness. Everyone likes to be forgiven. Forgiveness really is a beautiful thing. But why is it difficult to forgive? Why is it so difficult for us sometimes to extend forgiveness? I believe it's difficult for us to forgive because it's not natural for us. Forgiveness is in conflict with our sinful nature. The natural human response is to get even, or perhaps even to extract revenge. To forgive without just payment offends our fallen sense of justice because we want to be vindicated. You know, the world teaches us that we need to stand up for ourselves and that we need to right the wrongs. And forgiveness gets in the way of our retaliation. It's hard to retaliate if we have to forgive. It's something that many people truly struggle with. We read in, in uh, Matthew that the Apostle Peter, he also struggled with the issue of forgiveness. 
In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus was speaking to the disciples about the subject of a brother who had sinned. And as the Apostle Peter listened to the Lord teach, he focused in on one aspect. It then directs a question in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, I made two observations from Peter's question. Firstly, it, is, it seems that Peter assumes that it will be his brother sinning against him rather than he against his brother. And the second thing, it seems that Peter wanted to set some kind of limit on how many times we should forgive our brother. But you know, in all fairness to Peter, he was actually being generous in his limit. At the time, the, the rabbis at the time thought that you could only forgive up to three times. And this came from a misunderstanding in the book of Amos that says that God would revoke punishment against them for three sins, but not for four. So to Peter's credit, he was actually doubling what the rabbis were teaching at the time. But Peter was surprised, or I'd suggest he was surprised when Jesus answered in verse 22. Jesus answered and said, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now it's really important to understand here that, that Jesus wasn't putting a cap or a limit on how many times we should forgive someone who does something wrong against us. Now he was impressing a point by raising Jesus' suggested, sorry, Peter's suggested amount of seven times to seventy-seven times. Well, possibly if Peter had a suggested seventy-seven times, every chance Jesus would have come back to him and said, no, Peter, 777 times. The important thing that we take away from this is that we must continue to forgive. You know, that forgiveness is an ongoing process. It's not a limit on how many times we should forgive. So in answering Peter's question, Jesus goes on to tell a story that has become known as the parable of the unforgiving servant, also the unmerciful servant. In this story, Jesus deals with man's two greatest needs in regards to forgiveness. Firstly, he deals with those of us who need to receive forgiveness. And secondly, he targets those of us who need to extend forgiveness. Before we examine the parable, we need to remember a couple of things, a couple of important points. Firstly, forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Now, you may forget that someone's offended you, and that's great if you do, but it doesn't mean you've forgiven the person. Forgiveness can still be sincere even if you remember what happened. When God forgets our sins, he doesn't, they don't slip out of his mind. He simply just doesn't hold them against us anymore. But there's often residual pain and there's residual hurt due to that original offence. Even though we've forgiven the person, there can still be residual pain that we have to deal with it. And that's okay, because it's often a journey to overcome that pain and to deal with that. But the act of forgiveness is the first step towards overcoming the pain and the hurt. So forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Second point to remember is that forgiveness is our emotional response to the offender. It's a decision that we make. We do it on purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. We do it on purpose. We make the decision to forgive. Really important to know that. However, our forgiveness doesn't automatically atone 
for that person's actions. For example, if a drug addict broke into your house and they stole a stack of your possessions to sell and fund their addiction, your ability to forgive that person doesn't doesn't deal with the consequences associated with their actions. Unless we have the authority, we can't pardon or excuse an offence, but we can always forgive. So forgiveness is our emotional response to the offender. Now, our first great need in regards to forgiveness is found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 27. And it's our need to receive forgiveness. So from verse 23 of Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. And here's a man who owes an enormous debt. Now a talent, one talent, was the equivalent to 6,000 denarii. And one denarii was the average daily wage for a, a person back then. So it would take 16 years to earn just one talent. And this guy owed 10,000 talents. So the point being made here is that this guy's debt is inconceivable. It's enormous. It would seem impossible that he could ever repay that debt. Now, confronted by his circumstances and the situation he was in, the servant pleads for more time. Verse 27 reveals that it is the character of the master had nothing to do with the character of the servant that produces the release from debt. The master made his decision based on compassion. He displayed empathy. We read on in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. So the master forgave the servant out of compassion for him and his family. Now we must see ourselves in this, in this situation if we're going to be helped by this parable. We must see that the sum of our offences against God throughout the years equates to this enormous debt. An inconceivable amount something that we will never repay. Our rebellion, our selfish acts, our willful thoughts, our lusts, our pride, our anger, the list just goes on, our bitterness, our hates, all these things add up throughout the years to a staggering debt that we can never repay. We can never repay God for that debt. But then comes the good news. There is good news. The wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can be forgiven through Christ Jesus, through the name of Jesus. The Gospel tells us of how God poured out his love for all mankind when he allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified on the cross to pay the price for our debt, for our sins, for all those offences that we built up over all those years. We can be forgiven in Christ's name. With that single act of love that Jesus displayed on that cross at Calvary, our sins are now forgiven. He paid the price for our sins. Not only are they forgiven, but they've been taken away, never to be held against us again. That is amazing grace. I thought that song was timely today, amazing grace, because you know, God's forgiveness to us is just amazing. It is amazing grace. But 
Forgiveness has nothing to do with how good we are. It has nothing to do with the wonderful things that we think we do. Sometimes we think we're pretty good for the stuff that we're doing, but nothing that we do adds up. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter your forgiveness. It doesn't matter about that. It doesn't matter about how much money you're giving to church, how many scriptures you've memorized, how many old people you've helped across the road. All those things are good things. And it's important we give to church. It's important that we read our Bible, but it doesn't add anything on top of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Nothing we can ever do can come close to atoning for our sins. Yet Jesus laid his life down for us. Unworthy people. We're unworthy. We're not worthy of it. Yet Jesus loved us that much. Before we even acknowledged him as our Lord and Saviour, before even born, he'd already made a way for us. That is amazing grace. So how can we respond to Christ's sacrifice? And what's our response? I believe there is a simple response, and that is love and forgiveness. I truly believe that love and forgiveness is a natural response for us to make towards Christ's sacrifice. I suspect that some of you here today have not forgiven others for things they may have done to you. And it also suggests that, that some of you, if not all of you here today, have probably done things to other people that you've never sought forgiveness for. According to Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, if your brother sins against you, go and be reconciled to him. Is there anybody that you need to be reconciled to this week? Is it something that you need to deal with this week? So man's first great need is to receive forgiveness. We all need to receive forgiveness. Man's second great need with regards to forgiveness is to extend forgiveness. And when we read this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 28 to 35. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and then began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now you'd expect a man who'd be forgiven so much to be motivated to extend that same experience to others. Yet instead... He has a man who arrested who owed him a much smaller amount of money and had him thrown into prison. Here we have a man who has forgiven a debt cleared. I don't know if anyone's done their maths yet, but he was forgiven for 160,000 years worth of wages. That's what his debt added up to. A significant amount of money. But he now persecutes a fellow servant who owes him four months' wages. 
four months compared to 160,000 years. There's something obviously wrong with this man's heart. Although he had the legal right to demand repayment, because that other servant owed him, he most certainly did not have the moral right to demand repayment. How can you greatly receive forgiveness over here and then refuse to extend it over there? How do we do that? Matthew 6.12 says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The consequences for the servant's failure to forgive was to suffer imprisonment along with his family. Now, is the Lord suggesting that he will send torturers to teach us a lesson on forgiveness? That's not the point. The point being made here deals with our present time, not the future consequences of unforgiveness. To accept God's forgiveness and then refuse, it, refuse to extend it to others is not just unfortunate, Jesus says, but it is wicked. Now hear this. What happened to this man will happen to each of us unless we learn to extend forgiveness. The torturers will come and they will consume us if we don't extend forgiveness to those who have wronged us. And the world's worst prison can only confine our bodies, but the prison that Jesus is talking about shackles our souls. And the saddest part about this prison is that we put ourselves in this prison. It's our choices, it's our willful choices that put ourselves in this prison. The consequences of unforgiveness is bitterness, it's anger, it's resentment, it's self-destruction. You will be tortured by these things. If we allow our hearts to be corrupted with unforgiveness, then we will pay the price. And not only us, but our families and all those close to us will also be dragged down by our negative emotions, our bitterness, our anger. We pull those down around around us. Ray Stedman, a late pastor and author from the last century, shared a powerful illustration in one of his books, and I, I have to share that with you. He wrote, A woman in her 80s told him that 50 years before, her aunt had said something insulting to her, and this woman had never forgiven her. Fifty years later, she could recount the event to the precise detail and she felt all the same bitterness, anger and resentment welling up within her as when it originally occurred. It was no wonder to me that by this time she had become a bitter, crotchety, quarrelsome, unhappy woman that could find no happiness in life whatsoever. She was still in the hands of the torturers 50 years later. I found that after I'd already prepared what message I'd said around the, the bitterness, the anger, the resentment, the torturers, and I, I stumbled across it. I just thought it fitted so well. But isn't it sad how the sin of unforgiveness has such an ability to destroy our lives? But the great news is that God gives us the strength to forgive others and also to overcome the hurt that's associated with the initial offence, because that's important to understand. It's not just about forgiving, it's also he gives us the strength to overcome the hurt, because there can be hurt. We can't downplay the fact that there can still be hurt. But never for a moment am I going to stand up here today and say this is really easy. It's a simple thing, we just have to forgive, have to smile about, we have to move on. Was that simple? The writers of the New Testament wouldn't emphasise on it so much. 
was that simple, we wouldn't have it as a topic to talk about today. We wouldn't need to talk about it. The fact is it's not easy. But one thing for certain is that by exercising forgiveness, each of us will be released from bitterness, be released from anger, be released from resentment, and we won't be destroying our lives and the people around us. I think it's equally important to realise, you know, we we destroy lives of people around us as well when we're when we have those emotions and those attitudes. So how do we forgive our enemies? Firstly, we need to learn to receive forgiveness. The first step towards being able to forgive others is in fact for us to receive forgiveness. Recognising that you are a condemned sinner in need of a saviour. Without Christ, you are condemned. Understanding that Christ has has paid the ultimate sacrifice for you with his life. And there's nothing more that you need to do to add to that sacrifice. If you think you need to do anything more than just genuinely accept Christ's sacrifice, then you have not yet learned how to receive forgiveness. If you think you need to add to that, then you haven't received forgiveness yet. You don't understand. If someone gives you a small gift just for being a friend, do you offer them money? What if really accept the gift? It's natural to accept the gift and show gratitude. Say thank you. There's nothing more you need to do to complete that transaction. The gift is now yours. And you may feel compelled as a response to buy them a gift in return, extend the same gesture, but there's nothing more you need to do. Likewise, to respond to Christ's gift is to accept him and follow after him, to seek his ways above anything else. Not because there are conditions on his free gift, not because you needed to add to the gift, but because you now have him within you and your actions are now motivated through his love. He's working throughout you. You're now in Christ Jesus. So first we need to accept and receive forgiveness. That's the first thing. Second thing we need to do, we need to learn to extend forgiveness. We need to extend forgiveness as we've received it. Once they have a true revelation of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us and we've experienced his love and his forgiveness, we're then equipped to extend forgiveness to others. To do this, we need to firstly recognise that we are, in fact, harbouring bitterness, there's anger in our lives, there's resentment and self-destruction as a result of someone else's actions. So once you've recognised this, we then need to consciously say, We need to say, I forgive that person for the following wrongs that they have done. We need to consciously say it. We need to acknowledge it and we need to declare it. Then we need to repent of the feelings that we've had towards that person and ask God to forgive us. After that, I would encourage you to begin praying for that person. Pray for that person. Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When you pray for your enemies, when you ask God to meet their needs, you are overcoming evil with good. Instead of fighting negative thoughts in your mind, you're filling your mind with positive thoughts. But we don't just stop there. We actively set out to bless them. We don't just pray for them behind closed doors and stay away from them. We, we set out to bless them. We demonstrate God's love towards them. 
Romans 12.14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our ability to forgive others is so closely associated with our ability to love other people. They're associated. They work hand in hand. If we love, we can forgive. Not only can we forgive, but we can bless as well. We can rise above the hurt. We can rise above the pain. We can deal with all those emotions that follow the offence. How do we do that? We do it through our relationship with Christ. Christ changing us, becoming more and more like Christ day by day as we draw closer to him. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, I've heard many testimonies over the years of people who have been offended and who have exercised forgiveness and the blessings that have followed. Now, I've experienced things myself and I've made the decision to extend forgiveness. And, and I can attest that there are blessings that follow. There is a true experience and a blessing that God pours out on us for doing that. What I'd like to do now, I'm going to invite Kate Taylor to join me on the stage. Yes, Kate, wait for a second then. And um, Kate's going to share a little bit of her life experience. Um, situation in her life where she's had to deal with forgiveness. So um, while Kate's coming, just take a look at the CV and we'll um, talk soon. We are up this broadcast and bring this important bulletin from the United Press. Flash, Washington. The White House announces Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. The Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor brought America into the war. Its angry citizens wanted a swift retaliation. Less than six months later, a band of B-25 crews called Doolittle's Raiders brought that vengeance, bombing Tokyo and other cities. Jacob DeShazer was a bombardier on one of those planes, and he unleashed his hatred with each bomb he dropped. Well, I didn't care if every person in Japan got killed at that time. That was a bitterness and a resentment and anger in my heart. The more I got killed, the better I got. Sergeant Lachaser didn't know his destiny was tied to the people he was trying to destroy. His plane ran out of fuel and he parachuted into the hands of the Japanese. He spent more than three years in a prisoner of war camp, beaten, starved, and tortured. Lachaser was dying of despair, loneliness, and bitterness when he was given a Bible. And I looked down at the Bible and they were filled stand down. And it said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It just hit me right then. And I know that God touched me and gave me that faith. And that's a gift. And uh, I got that gift of God. And I sensed the living presence of Jesus. And it, it wasn't just what the Bible said. I knew that Jesus is alive. Even though he was still a prisoner, DeShazer was now free of the hatred that ruled his life. It just seemed like... Uh, I didn't have any more bitterness or resentment or hatred, and uh, I loved them. You know, I began to feel sorry for them because they were uh, losing the war at that time, I could tell. DeShazer was set free in August 1945. Three years later, he returned to Japan as a missionary. It's reported that thousands of Japanese came to Christ during his first year as a missionary. But for DeShazer, no conversion was more miraculous than this man's, Mitsuo Fushida. He's the pilot who led the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Fushida read a tract DeShazer wrote about his conversion. He was so moved that he bought a Bible and asked Jesus to come into his heart. 
And then later on, he came down to my home, and uh, he said, I want to be a Christian. And so he got baptized. That's the way it happened to Fertitta. Together, the once bitter enemies ministered the gospel in Japan, bound together by the love of Jesus Christ. Fushida died in 1976. Now, Neshazer will be remembered as a hero who died to himself and loved the enemy for God's glory. God is good, and uh, I just feel like I can't praise him enough. I have seen that 80 months before. I played that probably 80 months or so ago when we spoke about the very topic on forgiveness. And I guess you probably couldn't get a better example of someone forgiving their enemy. I mean, it just doesn't get get bigger than that, does it? Amazing testimony. So welcome, Kate. Thanks. Thank you for joining me on stage. I spent some time talking to Kate about her her own experience with forgiveness, and there's a real story there that I think people can take on board. And again, you know, Kate's story just demonstrates so much what we're talking about. So... Thanks, Michael. Firstly, um, Church, I just wanted to say this morning, it, it can be a really sensitive topic. So you might be sitting there and you're kind of squirming in your seat. Know that I am too. Um, I'm a bit nervous sharing with you, but know that um, God might speak to you through that today. So just have an open heart. So it starts before the beginning for me. I was born into a family with a, a strong history of brokenness that had experienced heartbreaking abuse. My parents were divorced before I was two, and my mum remarried shortly after. Growing up, this season of my life and the person involved was never spoken of, and that was my father. I had a loving mum and dad who adopted my brother and I and raised us as his own, and they loved and provided for our every need. But there was always an undercurrent of bitterness and resentment that I didn't understand. I felt rejected and spent my younger years thinking my father didn't love or care about us. It was such a long time for my feelings to turn into anger. As I grew, a little bit of information emerged from my older siblings. I too began to grow bitter and angry toward my father, who he was and what he'd done. Now, I have to say, at this time though, growing up, as as young as I can remember, I'd always experienced God with me. We'd gone to church. Um, but his presence with me, um, particularly as my father, was really strong. So I'd grown in my own relationship with Jesus from, from a young age and saved him as my heavenly father, one who promised to never leave me nor forsake me. And I, re- I freely received his forgiveness at a young age, and my desire to be obedient to him grew rapidly. In time, as I began to mature, I realized that although I didn't know this man, The only way I could find freedom from the anger and bitterness I held toward him was through forgiveness. It hasn't been simple. In fact, it's been a really long journey, beginning with knowing that Christ forgave me and asked me to forgive others. It's one of those those things you know you should do, and you can even want to do it, but the how is challenging, particularly because he wasn't even present in my life. God showed me how he had forgiven my father and that I was to do the same. I began to pray for my dad and in doing that he gave me new eyes and a new heart toward him. It was a step of obedience to forgive, to put my faith in Christ and trust him to bring healing to all that I held inside of me. 
Like I said, this was a long process for me. But over a period of, of about seven years, God changed me a little bit at a time. Sometimes those feelings can start to nickel up, even now. But I jump on it straight away and bring it to Jesus' feet. As Michael identified Matthew 18, you know, forgive 77 times. Alert that we damage ourselves and our families when we hold on to unforgiveness. And I desire to be free from the toxic effects. In the same way, I choose these days to work through offence a lot more quickly as it easily leads us down the path of bitterness and resentment and we only end up hurting ourselves and being prisoners to the unforgiveness. That wouldn't be an easy to take to share, to say you really well. But um, something you spoke about was the anger and the bitterness, and you mentioned it a few times. So yeah. Yeah, what did that look like? How did you realise that you had anger and um, bitterness as a result of that? When we first spoke about that, I really had to think about it. And to be honest, it's really easy to hide. It's easy to hide when you're angry. It's easy to hide bitterness. But eventually, when you stuff those things down so much, it, it leaks. So I saw this happening in my own family. Um, there was anger. There was substance abuse. There was control. There was even running away. Um, but personally, I really struggled with a short fuse. Things would just trigger me really quickly and becoming angry. Um, seriously, I felt so bound by those things. Mm. So it was a family, her family all sort of carried those yeah. emotions? Yeah. yeah. So, um, some of those hurtful things, I guess, so there was a journey too. You mentioned we were talking earlier, I don't know if you mentioned them. Mm. I mean, there was a, a journey with this, wasn't there, too? Yeah, definitely a journey. Um, you know, some of those things still come up now, but. You know, little bit by little bit, when you identify things um, and you, you bring them into the light, then it allows God the space to to bring healing to those those things. Something that, that Kate mentioned was that she realised that, that God had forgiven her father and that that was your response to do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, with that, was that like a, a moment in time when you had a revelation that God spoke to you and you just really felt compelled? Or would it take you time to, I guess, respond to what God had been. So. Yeah, honestly, I think it was through um, beginning to pray for him. I had a, an awareness of um, God's forgiveness for me, particularly, you know, in Psalm 103, it talks about God um, removing our transgressions from us as far as he is from the West. And when he wrote that, when that scripture's in the Bible, it refers to me, but it also refers to my father. And so I think in time, as I began to see my father as a child of God, um, not just as someone who who hurt so much, so many people, um, that he was also just as equally entitled to that same forgiveness that Jesus gives me today. And so, yeah, as a response to that, it, it really, I, I just grew in love. It really was a beginning to love him mm-hmm. and then wanting to kind of build that bridge. Um, so forgiving him, choosing to forgive. So definitely a journey. Yeah, yeah. I think that, and that praying for that, I mean, that's just about to I mean, how, how old were you when, when you experienced that? Um, probably I began to pray for my dad in my teenage years as I matured and, and had a more acute awareness of what needed to happen. Um, but, gen- but honestly, prayed for him from that time until now even. Um, because I can only imagine that he himself 
carries carries the consequence of his sin. Absolutely. And then you might contact him some restoration and a result as well. Yeah. So, and that's, so I guess, that actively thing about not just praying, but then stepping in and doing something about it, you know, the blessings that follow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that was um, definitely a time when God brought it about. It was miraculous that I even found my father who lives in north of Brisbane. Um, and it wasn't that my dad who adopted us wasn't enough, but I think, you know, God God led me on this journey and so to meet him when um, after Dave and I started to have children and feel like, you know, what must it be like for him not to know his children rather than seeing him as the baddie not wanting to know us. Mm. Um, so we accidentally made contact through um, Genes Reunited, a website, um, yeah, which has your genealogies happening there. So, yeah, that was really miraculous. And to meet with him and um, to see that bridge really built was, was a miracle from God. Fantastic. So, I guess that pain piece too, and we spoke about it earlier too, that it can be a journey. But forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Yeah. So, you know, we, we exercise forgiveness, but there can be pain associated, and I guess sometimes maybe that those thoughts or some of that pain takes time to deal with. So, yeah. you're still working through things today in regards to that? Yeah, look, it, it's definitely not as much as in the past, but every now and then um, it, it raises up and yep. and pain and, you know, is definitely an emotion and emotions are real and they're God-given and I think they draw us to Jesus' feet so that we can um, come and receive healing that only He can give. So if then your response is to draw Christ to Christ. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which I think, you know, in, in all of our, in our lives in any way, in the, uh, the, the peaks and the troughs and the trials that we go through, I think that's God's heart is that we will always draw back to Him. You know, one thing I haven't said is that it was definitely when I was in that, when I began that relationship with Jesus and, and I grew in that and matured that, you know, my motivation to forgive, which we talked about earlier too, was out of obedience. And I really honestly desire to be free from the toxic effects of unforgiveness. And I think, you know, that's something that maybe a lot of people can identify with, that the chains that hold and bind you are very, very real. And, um, and, and when you're separated from God, when you, when you don't have him in your life, I think you really are powerless to be able to work through that. Um, so I think there's a real key there in, in receiving forgiveness from Jesus um, and then then extending that forgiveness, just like you talked about. Sure. So with that, I guess, we spoke about, I guess, the, you know, how it affects your family as well and those around us. So the release that you receive, how did that affect your family, and they notice that as well, and they notice how you dealt with it. I think so. I yeah. mean, more so probably Dave um, than anything, than anybody, and our children. Um, it's still complicated in that the rest of my family, uh, you know, half of them don't know Jesus, so they don't know that freedom and that forgiveness, um, and it's still not talked about a lot. Um, it makes it challenging, but but definitely there's a there was a big freedom, and it kind of lifted a burden from our own home. Forgiveness, so important. I truly believe that the parable 
of the unforgiving servant serves as a great reminder for God's heart for forgiveness. The wicked servant had his debts cancelled and cleared because he sought mercy from his master. The master displayed compassion upon the servant. had nothing to do with the servant's heart. It all had to do, in fact, in that situation, with the master's heart. It was the master's compassion that that, um, provided that um, release. Yet when the wicked servant caught up with the fellow servant that owed him a much smaller amount of money, what did he do? He had him thrown in prison. And we all know what happened to that wicked servant when the master found out. He had, he had the wicked servant jailed and tortured until he could repay back everything that he owed. And that's what will happen to each of us unless we learn how to extend forgiveness. The tortures will come and they will consume us if we don't forgive others. We'll be consumed with bitterness, we'll be consumed with anger, be consumed with um, resentment and self-destruction. But God has made a way for each of us to have our sins forgiven, to receive forgiveness, and that's through Christ Jesus. And there's nothing more that we need to do to receive that forgiveness. Nothing more that we can do can add to Christ's sacrifice. Our response, your response, is simply to draw closer to Christ and allow His love and His grace to change our lives forever. You know, we never arrive. We don't get a moment. We've arrived now. We get it. We've got it. It's a journey. We continue to draw closer to Christ and become more and more like Him. There isn't a moment where we get it perfectly right. We've got it sorted out. It's always a journey. When we start thinking that we've arrived, we're very far off the mark. Really important to remember. It's His love and His grace that gives us the ability to forgive others. It's important to remember that forgiveness sets you free. You know, Kate shared that about the freedom she received from bitterness and from anger as a result of being faithful to her God. And when we release, when we receive that forgiveness, we are then empowered and we're released to extend forgiveness to others. I'd ask that you all take some time this week, or if not today, to you know, read through the Lord's Prayer. You know, take some time to meditate on it. What's it saying to you? What's your response Matthew 6.12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What's your response? Take the time to pray to God about it. What's he going to reveal in your heart? What's he going to bring, bring out that you've pushed away? Are you comfortable that if you had to stand before God today, that you could put your hand on your heart and you could say that you've extended forgiveness to others just as you have freely and happily accepted and received it from God? You passed on grace to others just as you perceived. Because this is God's heart for each and every one of us, that we would extend forgiveness just as we have received it from Him. Our debt that's added up against us that God has forgiven us for just is huge. And it's it's inconceivable. Yet often we're holding on to offense for small things, you know, insignificant things in comparison. So our response is to extend forgiveness. And it's not always going to be easy. It can be a journey. Be a journey to deal with it, but, but one thing for certain is that forgiveness is that first step. It's that first step to overcoming the pain, the hurt, all those things within us. Really important. So, thanks so much for sharing that, Kate. I think there's so much what Kate had to say that you know, we can all apply to our lives, and it's, it's the simple steps of, of um, you know, praying and responding to what God's putting on our heart. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you are a loving God. Thank you, Lord, that you forgave us and that you made a way through Jesus Christ for our sins to be forgiven, that we can be in a relationship with you, Lord God, that you could give us the example of how to forgive. So we thank you that we can receive forgiveness from you, Lord, and I pray that everybody here today Lord, to be motivated, motivated as a result of your word and what we've learned from your word, from the, the parable, the unforgiving servant, that everyone would be motivated here today to take check of their own lives. In, and how can they respond? Is there forgiveness that needs to be extended to others? Is there things that we've done wrong by others that we need to seek forgiveness for? I pray, Lord God, that nobody would go home today without thinking about those things. Not only thinking, but exercising those thoughts and, and putting them into practice to draw closer to you, Lord, and to draw closer to those around. So, Lord God, I just um, thank you so much for your love and thank you for your grace.